0: Hey guys, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. It is December 6th, 2015. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Um, so I've got a show today about the top five production mistakes. Um, now This will encompass quite a few things that we've already talked about in various shows, but sort of organize them in a different way and maybe give you some different things to think about. Uh, I wanted to First, uh, do a shout-out to everyone that has subscribed to me on YouTube. We've got over 200 subscribers at this point, and um, I'm really glad that you guys are enjoying the YouTube channel. It gives me a great opportunity to showcase just various cool things. Um, I think as far as uh, subscribers go, many of you um, have been subscribing from the mailing list, and uh, I now have a link in the mailing list, so if you're interested, The mailing list is totally free, no spam, and you can sign up there at recordingloungepodcast.com slash up. And the YouTube channel now has an official URL, which is youtube.com slash recordinglounge. Uh, If that doesn't work, you can also go to youtube.com slash C, as in the letter C, slash recordinglounge, and that should work as well. Um, So, I appreciate all the support and love for all the videos I've posted so far. Um, I plan on making a couple more videos as always if you have any suggestions for podcast episodes or videos uh, please feel free to send me an email recording lounge podcast at gmail.com I look forward to hearing from you guys Uh, let's get on with the show we're talking about the top five production mistakes that I find uh, in recordings that I hear from engineers that are seeking my advice and maybe even some of you that have sent me mixes to review or mixes to mix or mixes to master. Um, I've talked to many of you over email, hundreds of people so far uh, with questions and comments. And uh, many people tend to have similar problems. And I've tried to categorize sort of similar problems that I hear in terms of production. Now, a lot of people get hung up on producing and what producing really means And in truth, producing is not a singular definition because there are many different types of producers. Um, You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, oh, he's a guitarist. It's like, okay, sure, he's a guitar player, but does that mean he plays speed metal or classical guitar? Um, And and so when you call someone a producer, when someone is a producer, um, it's a wide encompassing term. In general, the producer's job is is to make sure that the songs are sort of showcased and represented, and the ideas come across in the most um, logical way, in the most financially feasible way, in the most uh, accepted by the market kind of way. And, and in all those ways, and many more, just basically trying to make sure that what the band puts out is good. They're sort of like the director of the film. They're not necessarily operating the camera. They might. Uh, they're not necessarily writing, but they might. Um, and, and But in the end, their job is to sort of direct and say, this is what we need to do to get this song where it needs to be. That's a general definition of what a producer does. Now, some producers are going to be very hands-on. They might record, mix, and produce. They might record and mix. They might record and, you know what I mean? There, There's no definitive, you know, in the hip hop world and in the pop world, a lot of the producers are making beats. They might be writing the songs. They might co-write the songs. Um, it, you know, it goes all over the place with what a producer actually does. Um, some are very hands-on. Some are very hands-off. Some have a lot of vested interest in the money side. Others have nothing to do with the money whatsoever. Uh, It it just depends, okay? So so try to be open-minded when you hear the term producer. Don't put down anyone that calls themselves a producer just because, you know, maybe they really are in just a simple way. Um, Now, I would be a little bit more strict on people who have just started doing audio calling themselves producers because to me, part of the role of a producer is to understand... Um, the intended market for the album and that only comes with years of experience of understanding okay this is what is hot right now this is what was hot yesterday this is what might be hot in the future and only people with years of experience really understand um, those types of things you know often I'm even a little bit I'm skeptical of my own myself of calling myself much of a producer. I mean, sure, I produce records, but I consider myself more of an engineer mixer. Um, yes, I produce, and but but it depends. In certain roles, I find myself saying, you know, on certain projects, I find myself saying, yeah, I'm really good at producing this. But on other projects, I find myself saying, you know what, I I need to kind of step back and just engineer this, let the band kind of produce themselves, or bring in someone else to kind of direct, because that's just not my wheelhouse or whatever. Because partly, again, the producer, the producer has to be able to interface with the band uh, in a way that's different from the engineer, in most situations, I find at least. This is from my personal, my career, my personal experience. The producer is a little bit more one-on-one with the artist, whereas the, engineer is, the engineer's job is kind of just to record the band, get great sounds, record the band, make it sound great. The producer's job is to figure out what that is that will make them sound great. You know, the producer is the one who will say, we need to track the band live. And the engineer is the one who says, okay, I'll make it sound great. And again, that's my experience with it most of the time. And it's very hard for me to wear those hats, and it's very hard for anybody to wear the hat of a producer and an engineer, because you're sort of going back and forth between technical and creative, creative and technical, they fight each other a little bit. And um, it's a little easier if you have a separate uh, ear listening for each of those things. Uh, I have found that it's sometimes very rewarding to have a separate producer, uh, as opposed to Trying to record and produce it yourself. Um, anyway, point being, uh, today's show is about the top five production mistakes. And I know that a lot of you out there listening to the podcast are basically just self-producing. They're, you're self-producing your own music, or you're self-producing the bands that come in. You know, you don't hire in another producer. You know, sure, you'll ask the band for their opinion and their input, but you're pretty much calling the shots when it comes to it. And that's a fairly recent development in the recording world. I mean, back in the 70s and 80s and even, I mean, 50s, 60s, there, it was kind of like you had an engineer and a producer. Like, there wasn't really a dude that necessarily did it all. There were a couple exceptions, but um, there was always kind of like the producer and then the engineer, and the engineer didn't really make decisions. It was the producer who was sort of calling the shots. The engineer just put up the mics and made it sound good. Um, and throughout, since, since the dawn of the home recording, you know, starting in the nineties, all the way up to today, uh, home recording is now a huge industry and a very popular thing. And that's one of the biggest things I find that people are missing is a producer, a separate producer. Um, because that used to be a standard thing on a lot of our favorite records, it was a separate producer from the from you know the the person that engineered it, or they might have one producer and four different engineers. The producer would hire, okay, this guy, this engineer is really really good at bass drums and guitar, like rhythm, just good old rhythm section stuff, but this engineer is way better at recording piano and vocals, and so they might have used different engineers for different things, or they might have used different engineers for different songs, um, and that potentially was the producer's decision. Um, so my point is I'm going to try to catalog some of these production mistakes that I hear. Now, again, this just sort of comes with a little asterisk because is there really such thing as a mistake, um, in art? Well, not exactly, but there are definite things that me personally, I could point out and I have pointed out to people and, um, they have said, wow, you know, that's actually really good advice. So... Uh, I'm using these sort of questions that I've gotten through email and uh, whatnot to hopefully help someone else out there. So let's start with number one. So the these aren't in any particular order, but the first production mistake that I find very often is not planning. Now, planning is, again, a blanket term that encompasses quite a few things. You could encompass, it could encompass uh, pre-production, but it could also encompass, you know, just Getting to know the band and talking to them and hearing wh- what their influences are. And not only what their influences are, but but what they're going for with this record. Where were they last record? What, where do they want to be next record? Um, things like this. And, and, and I hear recordings often that just sound like the band showed up, you hit record, and you, you kind of messed with it a little in the mix. And it just sounds bland and doesn't really it doesn't push any buttons it doesn't push any borders it doesn't try to be dangerous it doesn't try to be exciting even it's just kind of capturing a performance and it's like that's not the that's not the producer's job that's the engineer's job is to capture the performance okay the capture is the engineer's primary job but the producer his job is to get that performance that the engineer can capture. And the producer is the one who ensures that, you know, we're going in the right direction for this song, for these songs, for this record, for this band, you know, and, and the producer, again, this is again, my experience of working with a good producer, um, or with working on my own productions where I look back and say, you know, I did a good job producing that. And I can remember the things that I did. And it went successfully. The band was happy. It sounded great. They sold records, etc. Um, you know, and that to me is a success, you know. Um plan ahead as much as you can without stifling the creativity of the band. So try to make demos, try to get the band in for rehearsals. Try to get the band in for just chill time, just listening to records. I know that you're not really necessarily making a ton of money doing that, meeting with the band. I mean, if this were a big budget project, then sure, they'd have to rent the studio for that. But many of you will have to sort of sacrifice money and time to do something like this, um, which I, I understand. Meeting up with the band... You know, covering all of the financial stuff, obviously, way early before you even put up any mics. I mean, do all that stuff way, way ahead. Um, once you agree and everything started, the project started, you know, you meet with the band, you talk about influences, you talk about this record, you talk about what's their concept. Do they have a concept? You know, and maybe that's something you should even talk about far before, before you even say yes to the record, um, before you even decide to record a band. Um, you don't want to do something that is going to be a miserable experience because if you don't like the music or if they have no vision or if you aren't really feeling the vibe, you're not really feeling any sort of a vision for the project, why would you do it? Um, Because you know it's going to turn out mediocre. And I think a lot of people out there think that they're not doing this for money. Um, You know, oh, I'm just doing this because I love it. But that is an example of doing it for the money. When you don't like the band necessarily, or you kind of like them, uh, but you don't really have a vision for it, uh, and they don't really have a vision for it, and you're just sort of blindly recording and hoping that it turns out right, it's like, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever take records like that, because we've all taken the records, you know, we've all taken those records that are kind of just for the money, Um, but... Don't make that a habit. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't take the projects just because you're going to get paid. Okay. If you go into this job expecting that every project will be amazing, I mean, you're already doomed from the start. But try not to take the projects where the band lacks vision or lacks some sort of emotional attachment to their own music. That says this is what I want. I want that, and I want that, and they're excited about it. You know, if you have a band that's just like, yeah, we need to record, and uh, you know, we just we haven't recorded in a while, and we just need to get something out there. You know, that's not necessarily the type of enthusiasm you want. You know, you want bands to be like, hey, man, we have these songs, we're ready to record. We have this concept album. We've recorded, you know, demos, and we've written twenty songs, but we're gonna pick the best ten. Like they already kind of get it. Okay, they already kind of understand that they had... Now, sure, at some point or another, someone had probably had to explain that to them or they had to do their own research. So it's not going to be everyone. But I think you understand the point. Um, try not to take projects for the money. Try to take them on projects that you think you will genuinely enjoy working on. And also, you know, plan ahead as much as you can. So think about the songs. Record demos, Think about tempos and keys. Try out the songs in different keys. Have the singer sing them a step up or a half step up or a step down or a half step down. Uh, try to you know try to do it a little bit faster or a little bit slower. Talk about what instruments are going to be in this song. That's so simple, but it's such a big deal because you'll easily go into that this blindly and just start recording drums and bass and guitars and then doubling the guitars and then adding more guitar layers and adding keys and synths and percussion and in all this, soon enough, it's like, not only does it become a bland production, but it becomes something that just doesn't really have any sort of flavor remotely resembling the band. Um, You you know, it's one thing to make a cool recording, but it's another to make the right recording, to make the intended recording. Um, because it's not just a recording for recording's sake. Uh, it, it, it's an artistic statement, okay? It should be, at least. And if the band doesn't have that artistry, or if you don't have that, um, that enthusiasm, and if, or if they don't, then just be careful. Just, you might not even want to take that record or that project. So, try to plan out things. Try to plan out, okay, this song's got drums, bass, one electric, one acoustic, and one piano. Let's start there, okay? That's a good example of a plan. Try to even plan so far. You don't necessarily have to plan this with the band, but in your own head. Okay, so I'm going to put the guitar sort of over here on the side, and then the piano is going to be sort of more the main thing up the middle, and then, you know, the acoustic's going to be over there, and the drums are going to be kind of roomy. And, like, try to think about it, okay? Think about it as an image. Think about it in your mind. What is it going to sound like when it's done? Try to think about the whole thing as it will be finished. That's such a big key. Okay, so when you hear the song, when you hear the demo, if you can't imagine it in your head before you hit record, you know, I would urge you. Of course, it's not going to work for every project. Sometimes you do have to fly by the seat of your pants, but uh, that's really only something you can do with very skilled bands. Uh, Other than that, I think it's much better to have a plan, to sit there and think, okay, if I don't know what it's supposed to sound like when it's finished, then I don't have enough information, okay? I don't have the vision yet, so I need more data. I need more information about what do they like for this, what do they like for that? And you try to come up with this amalgamation. And some people are like, oh, I don't need to do that. Well, that's part of the job. It's That is hard work, okay? That is that is doing this job with focus and determination and putting in the hard hours, using your brain, using your heart, using your soul to imagine these things and just try to interpret musically, okay? It's, it, I hate when people sort of like, oh, I, I can be a producer, I can be an engineer, I just learn how to work Pro Tools and get, spend a bunch of money on equipment and I'm good and I'll, I'll get better as I practice. Part of it is is not something you can just practice on your own, or something I can really even teach you. Part of it is a natural desire and drive to create and to be creative and to think and to ponder and to stress about and to not stress about and to I I'm I guess my point is this is a much bigger job than most people think it is. Being a producer. And uh, so so don't write it off as just being something simple, um, okay? Producing takes a lot of thought and a lot of tact, okay? You have to be part psychologist, part musician, part director, part actor, part everything to really be an effective producer, in my opinion. You have to kind of be a little bit of everything, um, and that's difficult, and that really only comes from years of experience. I'm not even saying that I'm there. You know, I don't have a 40-year track record working with Michael Jackson or something like Quincy Jones, right? Uh, I'm just saying these are things that I notice, that I experience, and hopefully they give you something to think about. Let's move on to number two, okay? Um, Number two, a big common production mistake is recording the band or tracking the band the wrong way or at the wrong studio or with the wrong equipment or with the wrong engineer. All right. Now this is one of those difficult calls that producers have to make. And again, they have to think about it and question and wonder and and really try to see that vision. And you can't effectively make this call without understanding the vision. You can't say this is the right guy to do the job. This is the right studio unless you understand the plan and the vision. You know, and people, again, they'll blindly go into it and say, like, oh, any record can be made with any engineer as long as they're good, or any record can be made with any equipment. Any record can be made with any studio. Um, I mean, sure, you can make a record, but are you going to make something great? Maybe not, okay? On a record where you might, for example, this is just a general example. Let's say you're doing a record and the vision is of something sort of Uh, clean and hi-fi and pop, right? You're probably going to mic things certain ways and mix things certain ways and record things and and do things maybe piece by piece, Uh, edit things, right? Uh, But if the band wants something raw and the vision is something more sort of crusty and dark and crunchy and sort of garage rock, you might not use the same techniques and again this sounds so simple to say aloud but um, a lot of people miss it a lot of people miss that and they think well i always record guitar with sm57s or i always record vocals with this mic because they sound great on vocals it's like no they sound great on that one person's voice but they might not sound good on that other person's voice or they might not sound good when this person is singing like that um, or when this person is playing that type of guitar, you know an s m fifty seven or a you know something like that can be the perfect mic on something, and it can also be the worst mic on something. Any microphone can be that um, if you're going for a specific sound. and again, if you don't know the vision, you don't know the sound in your head, okay, you can't plan, you can't try, you can't have a starting place um, because what happens invariably is, you know, we say things like, oh, you know, you can't find the perfect mic position or the perfect mic by, you know, guessing or by your eyes, right? And I think we all agree. But what happens a lot is that if if you don't have the right starting place in your mind, you're already lost, you know? If you're trying to record a really crunchy, aggressive mid-range guitar and you reach for you know a condenser mic and a really clean amp and a telecaster you know your starting position is already so far off probably from what it should be um than what you're imagining um you know you you have to have a good starting place and then tweak from there and the starting places Come from experience and they come from time, they come from failure, and they come from planning and thinking about the sound that you're trying to get. So, number two is about tracking the band. So, let me explain this. Let's say you're working on a pop production. You know, as I said in my example before, it probably makes sense to do things individually. Why? Well, because part of the sound of pop is sort of a multi layered um, inorganic experience, uh, in, in a lot of pop, not all pop, but, um, where the drums are perfectly edited and there's maybe some electronic stuff going on. The bass is perfect. The guitar is perfectly edited. If there is even guitar, um, you know, everything is, is tight and clean and clear and crisp and very few bands can pull that off live. And most of the time, if you're working with something that's pop, it might not even be a band anyway. It might be a singer and a bunch of session players. But if you're working with a rock band, you know, tracking them live might be the right way to go. But again, if you had good pre-production time to work with the band and sort of just hear them play, you might you might listen and analyze and realize, you know, they play really well together, but they don't play well together with a click. When I turn off the click... They play really well. Should I do this record with no click? And that's a production call. That's a hard call, okay, that that you will have to make. Don't just sit there and say, oh, no, we should do it with click. All the real records do use click because it's just, I mean, that's not true. It's not about what, you know, quote, real records do. It's about what's right for this band on this time, uh, on this particular record or this particular song. Uh, You have to be in the moment of what you're doing. You have to interpret and analyze what's right in front of your face. Um, And you have to experiment, okay? So you could also try the band individually, and you can talk to them. What do they want? I mean, sure, they might not always know the right thing. Um, Sometimes they'll say, oh, we think we want to track this individually, um, because they've, they've done it in the past, and they've realized that everything can be fixed, right? But... That doesn't necessarily create an environment for exciting performances if that's what they're in need of. You know, what? where do they lack? Where does the band lack? Do they have a really good drummer, but a mediocre bass player? Well, in that case, maybe you can track them, you know, individually, but not use a click for the other people and just record the drummer to a click and then not use the click for the rest of the session. That way, the other people are used to just playing to the drummer, uh, but they're you know kind of mediocre to a click. I mean, you have to make those calls. And again, if you're in a position of high power as a producer, you might even have to make the call of, hey, you know, we need to hire in a different bass player or a different drummer or a different guitar player because if you want this record to be good, these guys aren't cutting it or they're not the right choice. Okay, you, you got to admit to yourself that. Not every drummer, just because a drummer is good doesn't mean they're right. I mean, that that type of statement can be applied to so many things in audio. I mean, Carter Beaufort, Dave Matthews drummer, is a great drummer, but he has a very specific style that would not work if he was plopped in the middle of ACDC, right? It just would not work. That's just not how he plays. Um, now, could he kind of fake it and pull it off? Sure. But is he the right guy? Probably not. Um, so think about what the band needs. Where do they lack? What, what are their strong points? You know, what did you notice from pre-production? What, um, you know, what are, can they play well to a click? Can they play better without a click? Um, are they used to playing with a click? Are they used to playing individually on a recording? Do you need to embrace what they know or push them outside of the box These are all hard questions that I can't answer for you, but I've found that in certain recordings that I've, you know, people have shown to me, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, this sounds very disjointed because it was tracked all one at a time. Or, man, this sounds really sloppy because it was tracked all at one time. Um, and, And those things could have probably been avoided by choosing the opposite direction. Now, again, this is all just my opinion. Maybe that was the vision. And if that's the case and you can argue and back it up, go for it. Um, But I'm just saying it's common and those are some things to consider. Number three, sweating the wrong details. A lot of people, when they make records, when they produce records, when they record records, they tend to sweat the wrong details. And that includes the band members. The band members are often concerned with things like getting really good guitar tones and really good drum tones, and when that's one problem with recording things individually. Now, I record things individually all the time, and I I'm very familiar with the process, and I'm sure many of you out there are recording things one at a time, just because of uh, you know gear and space and time and all that stuff. Um, schedule, scheduling alone. I mean, scheduling a five piece band alone these days is really difficult, um, unless they're full-time musicians. Uh, and even then it's pretty difficult. Um, so when you sweat details like that, what it does is it creates a disjointed production because you have the guitar player, you have the, you know, let's say you track drums first, you have the drummer trying to get the biggest drum tones possible. And you have the bass player trying to get the best, biggest, baddest bass tone possible. And the guitar player trying to get the biggest, baddest tone possible. Etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you end up with this mass amalgamation of tones that all sound great on their own, but they sound terrible together. And they don't actually work or complement each other. And they don't even sweat the the real point of the song, which is probably the vocal which is usually done at the end. Now, one nice thing about tracking things live is that that sort of context is is implied from the beginning. Like, hey, we're going to have vocals in this song, and we all know it. And even if you do a scratch vocal when doing individually, um, it's still very easy to sort of forget and sort of forget that, um, you know, it, it's, oh, it's just a scratch vocal. It's like, no, consider this the real vocal, which is uh, one reason why I do recommend... Um, This is something I've been trying to do recently. I got a tip from a friend of mine who's a producer and engineer. And uh, he said, you know, when you track scratch vocals, um, try to make that vocal sound as good as possible. Like, tune it, mix it, EQ it, compress it. Try to make the scratch vocal sound as good as possible. Um, You know, use a good mic. Don't just put up a cheapo mic. Use a good mic. Use a good EQ and pre and all that stuff, and pretend like it's the real vocal, even though it's the scratch, and then tune it. Um, pre- you know, and it takes extra work. But uh, a big problem that a lot of people have is, um, and I'm sure any of you that have done this have experienced it, where you record a scratch vocal, you know, to your scratch tracks, and you're like, oh, whatever, it's just a scratch, and then you realize, oh crap, I've got to listen to this thing for the next, you know, month or week or three months or year or however long the project is. And you're listening to this mediocre scratch vocal um, that's really distracting and really pulling people out of the out of the mix. So try to get a dynamite scratch vocal um, in tonality and in actual performance, so that when you go to record and also tune it, because that will throw off people uh, when they're trying to record their part. And sometimes they'll think that their instrument is out of tune or they, you know, you want to try to remove those variables. You want it to be enjoyable and, and a freeing experience when they record their part. You don't want it to be a questioning sort of like, is this good? Is this, you know, you don't want that sort of mindset. You want them to feel like they're, you know, rocking and rolling, right? You don't want them to feel insecure while they're playing. Um, and that you want each member to walk away from each take being like that was a good one or that was a bad one like a very clear response. Um so try to get a good scratch vocal early and then try to work with different ways of recording. Try to if you again if you have the budget and time um try to record it live. Try to record it um you can't record every song individually but again if you meet up with the band and you really think about the plan you might already have a good idea. Well, like, okay, the drum drummer and bass player play really well together. So we'll do them live. We'll, we'll put guitars in there, but we're going to redo them um, because they'll do better on their own. Like, and the more you know about the band, the more you know about the players, the more you've experienced them in their sort of element, um, the more you'll know those sorts of things. And sometimes you don't know until you try the first song. Um, Sometimes you don't know until you have them back on the second record uh, you know, sometimes it's an ever evolving process. I've worked with some bands where, you know, on the first record, we did it live and the second record, we did it individually. And then the third record, we did it sort of hybrid. And then the fourth record, we went back to doing it individually. And then, I mean, we've, uh, I've worked with a couple of these bands for years now and, and they've become friends and li- lifelong clients. And we've tried lots of different things, but the point is really consider how the best way to tackle it is? What is going to allow them the creative space they need? Think about it this way: If I told you I'm going to give you twenty thousand dollars to build your perfect office, you know where you can have your desk and your computer and your books and you know maybe a walk-in humidor with a bunch of cigars and uh, you know maybe a liquor cabinet, right? If I said I was going to give you twenty grand to build your perfect office, what would be comfortable to you? And if you think about that, you can imagine how every single person would have a different answer. Someone's was probably going to say, "Oh, like kind of wood floors and maybe sort of really dim lighting," and other people might say, "No, I want it real light and sort of open, lots of natural light by the by the you know by the beach or something like that, or uh, lots of windows." And other people are going to say, "No, I want it real cozy, almost like a living room with couches and you know things. I don't even want a desk." Other people would say, "You know, oh, I just want like." Uh, you know, a huge TV and uh, somewhere for me to watch the football game or whatever. Um, So it really depends. It's personal for every player. And you want to try to make them feel at home and comfortable that they can perform the best, um, that they can work, do what they need to do in the studio in a comfortable way. And you try to try to make sure that everyone's comfortable. Try to remove those variables. Try to remove the world for them. You try to think about it. Uh, and this is all producer talk here, right? This is all producer talk, not engineer talk. Um, you're trying to sort of remove those variables and make them feel like they're the most important person in the room, uh, but yet at the same time, try to make them feel like, yes, but I'm playing drums on this guy's song that he's singing on. It's all about the lyric. You know, don't don't go too far where you make each player cocky and think that it's all about them. Okay, that's that's another rookie producer mistake is is sort of like being buddy-buddy with every single person in the band to the point where they each think they're the most important thing. When in reality, everybody needs to be on the same page. Everybody needs to be aware. This song is about X, or this song is about Y, or this song is about Z. Um, and that is what we need to focus on. Like we need to, you know, is that getting in the way of the vocal? Is that getting in the way of the vocal? Um, Some of the best projects that I've worked on have been a great collaboration between me and the band looking back and forth and always, always, always analyzing the big three things, the feel, the emotion, and the vocal. It's like, okay, is the groove right? Is the feel right? Is the emotion right? Is it, is, is this part sounding emotional and, Angry or sad, or is it sounding, you know, all these things? And how is it interacting with the vocal? We're always trying to analyze those things constantly. And the record turned out great because we were forced to make these calls like, okay, we want to add this lead part here. And we'd try it and we'd sit there and say, okay, does it feel right? Yeah, it feels great. Is it, you know, is it emotionally right? Yeah, yeah, it's so awesome and rock and roll. Is it getting in the way of the vocal? Well, yeah, it, it kind of is. Okay, let's dump it. We don't need it. It's like, well, what if we automated it down? Okay, we'll try that. Nope, doesn't work. Let's dump it. And so we had to make a lot of hard calls about even simple things, even like, um, you know, are we going to get rid of that tambourine or are we are we going to have tambourines in the chorus? Do we need them? Are we playing on ride on the chorus? Is it too washy? You know, you try to minimize as many things as you can and maximize, you know, minimize the bad stuff, maximize the great stuff. And always keep in mind the goal. One more example of sweating the wrong details. I once got a song to master, and um, I won't name any names, but uh, basically uh, the mixer sent it to me, and he was asking me, you know, for mix advice. Is there anything you would change, you know, which I like. I don't mind giving advice to things before I master. Uh, so I was like, well, yeah, but I really this is more of a production thing than it is a mixing. Okay, and he said, well go, go for it. Shoot. Tell me what you think. And there was, uh, the singer was, uh, particularly strong in their vibrato. And there was an organ in the chorus that was set to fast, a Leslie speaker cat, you know, rotating speaker set to fast. And to me, I thought those are really distracting from each other because I, I'm kind of listening to the organ, but they're both fast and they're both warbling, but they're at different speeds. And it just seems like when the when the vocalist holds that note and the organ is holding that note, it just sounds like the whole mix is pulsing my face off. And, you know, and that was so upfront to me and distracting. But, you know, he thought, "Oh, wow, I haven't even considered that." So that's one of those examples of how it's very easy to just not hear something that you've been so used to that you play for someone else. And they're like, Oh, no, did you not notice that that organ is like really vibrato-y and so is the vocal? No, I hadn't noticed. And so the point is, sometimes people will sweat details of things like, well, is the kick sounding good? Is the bass, you know, too much? Is the snare too fat or too thin? You know, are those crash cymbals too loud? you know are those guitars is the does the mix sound wide enough does it sound clear enough does the mix is are the mids out of control are the low mids too sco- scooped or do i need more do i need less you know all these things when in reality a lot of it comes back to what is the vocal doing what's the song about and you know what things are you doing to make sure the song comes across you know, it's great that you're trying to make that solo come across, and you try your hardest to make that solo come across in an emotional way. And when you do it right, it'll work, but it all starts with the arrangement and the recording and the and the song, okay? So those are the details that you need to sweat. All right, number four, um, missing the point of the song. This ties directly in with the previous one. I've gotten a lot of mixes from people that. Sort of miss the entire point of the lyric. Okay. um, To me, music is about the story and about the feeling and about the emotion. Um, It's not about how cool your solo is or how great the mix is. Um, A good song is a good song, and a good mix will showcase it, and a good recording, a good production will showcase it. You know, imagine you had a song that was called Let's Rock Tonight, right? And the song was slow. And, uh, there was sort of a ballad and it's like, all right, uh, you know, this song, the lyrics are about rocking and playing a big rock show. And you're doing this slow drudgy ballad with mid to low vocals. That doesn't even make sense. Okay. I mean, you can, you know, you can dance around it all you want, but in the end, the energy is just not right. Right. That's one example. Let's talk about another example. You know, you have a song that's about, you know, I love you. I miss you. Right. And it sounds happy. And but in a weird way, it's like it's okay to sound a little bit happy and sort of sweet. Right. But and romantic. But it almost sounded just joyful. Like, I love you. I miss you. And it's like that's that's not that doesn't even feel right. okay? Um, Now, every now and then there are exceptions to this rule. Um, there's been a handful of bands over the years that would write songs. It was popular in sort of the, uh, in the nineties for some of the more like grunge bands and stuff to write songs that sounded like, um, dark or sort of like really sort of grungy, but they were like a love song or vice versa, something that was kind of poppy and upbeat, but it was about crystal meth. Um, So, you know, so stuff like that happened and sometimes that can work and it, but it creates a different emotion, a different sort of feeling when people listen to it in general, in a general sense, you want to make sure that the music and the lyric share that similar uh, feeling and similar emotion. You know, if you're, if you're recording a country song that is sad, you know, A steel guitar is a very weeping sort of sounding instrument, uh, as opposed to a mandolin sometimes can sound that way, but a banjo doesn't really sound sad per se, uh, at least in most songs. It can sound sort of uh, cold and sort of, um, you know, sad, I guess, in certain folk styles, but in country, a banjo is more upbeat. And again, this is just things that you, you learn over time from listening to music and thinking about music and analyzing it. Um, but try to consider what's the point of this song. What's the point? You know what I mean? Like what, what is this song about? I I can read, I can read the lyrics, but what's it about? Okay. Ask the singer, ask the writer, what's the song about? What does it mean? What's the point? And I find so many songs today on the radio that just are pointless songs. They don't even say anything. They're not even making a a statement. They're just making some, like, they're just stringing sentences together that don't even really make any sort of statement. Okay. I'm not even saying that you have to make some big, bold statement about, you know, women's rights or war or, you know, poverty. Like, you don't have to make some huge, grandiose statement about something. I'm just saying, The statement needs to be clear and strong, whatever it is about, even if it's about how you lost your favorite pair of shoes. I mean, the point is you need to make that statement clear lyrically, that the story follows, that it's compelling. Um, And then as hard as it may be, you need to select sounds and techniques and recording conditions that allow that sound and that emotion to come across And yes, it's difficult. And yes, it requires thought. All right? But consider that every time you work on a song. Number five is not continually evaluating yourself as an engineer, a producer, or a mixer. Um, I get a lot of people that will send me mixes to uh, evaluate. Uh, You know, I do mix evaluation, um, you know, for a small fee. Uh, you can contact me for that, where I'll listen to your mix and give you a review uh, of my thoughts for the mix. Um, and most of the time, these are strictly mix questions. I Every now and then, if something is obvious, I will, I will add it in if it's a production thing. But again, it's not my production, uh, so I generally try to stick to mix things. But the point is, Uh, a lot of people will sort of get in their little cave and just sort of do this job and try to better themselves against their previous work. And they'll sort sort of slide off and stop kind of realizing the bigger picture of what's around them. And they're not trying to, you know, they're afraid to play their stuff for other people or they just think, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm kind of the big guy in my hometown. And so, you know, I'm good and that's that. You know, you need to continually realize that there's someone better than you out there. I mean, and listen to music, listen to records, continually immerse yourself in music, and be a lover of music. And that's a big problem. It's it's sort of you could say that it's a producer getting stagnant or an engineer getting stagnant or, um, something like that. Uh, and, and it's really important to share your mixes with other people, to ask them, you know, to find people that. You know, like engineers that you know and trust um that won't charge you a fee to listen to your mixes and and say, you know, what do you think about this? Give me your honest opinion. You know, is that kick too loud? And 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 just send it to them. See what they say, because all opinions matter, even if even if you're sitting there saying, you know, is the vocal too loud? And you send it to your friend who's not even a musician, you know, those opinions matter too. Being able to put yourself out there and having the confidence or the, you know, letting yourself be vulnerable to comments from other engineers, people that are better than you, or people that don't know anything about music, just listeners, because all those comments matter. They matter because people you know especially to consumers cuz consumers respond to music emotionally they don't give a crap what you recorded the kick drum with they don't even care that the kick drum sounds good most consumers don't care if the recording sounds good all they want to know if the recording you know all they want to know is if the recording makes them feel good or makes them want to dance or makes them want to sing or, you know, how how the, the sound surrounds them. They're going to speak in more artistic, general terms. Um, you know, sort of things like, oh, man, it sounds so full, right? Or it sounds so big. Or, man, this song rocks. Or, man, this song is so beautiful. Okay, they're not going to sit there and say like, oh, I really like the way they handled the strings in the, in the studio. And, oh, I really love those guitar layers. They're not going to say that. Okay, they're just not. And refusing you know engineers refusing that producers refusing to acknowledge that is a big mistake okay realizing that it all comes back to the same things we've talked about already and um you know when you when you intentionally make a mix do your best and send it to someone knowing full well they could rip it apart that is when you've sort of like reached the point where You can really make improvements when you're afraid to send a mix to some. Now, don't show off, you know, when you think that your mix is really great, because a lot of times, you know, you'll at the on the same token, you'll get uh, you'll get those sort of like sounds awesome, bro, comments, where they're just sort of mindless, like I'm being a friend and and I think it sounds good, but they don't know what they're talking about. So you, you have to be careful about it because you will get the comments that are just sounds awesome, bro, and sounds amazing and wow, you're so talented. And you'll get those sort of Facebook comments, right? That don't actually have a lot of meaning. Um, they don't actually help you. What is more helpful would be to send it to an engineer that you trust or an engineer that you think is better than you and having the honesty to admit that this person or that person is better than you um, or has better ears or has a more established ear or who has more experience, anything, or at least has a very different perspective, and send it to them and say, please give me your honest opinions about what you think, um, about the production, about the mix, about the engineering, and and just see what they say, Okay. And always treating yourself like a student of the craft, okay? You never stop learning. The day you stop learning is the day that you die in this job, okay? There's always something to learn. There's always something to gather and experiment and test. There's always something to glean from others. There's always something to be learned from uh, consumers and from musicians and from producers and engineers. I mean, everybody has a different thing to say. And try to keep an open mind about learning from those things and try to read books and don't get caught up on everything you see on the internet. Don't get caught up on gear. Don't get caught up on these things so much to the point where you are, you are using them as an excuse um, instead of just improving, okay? Getting better gear is not improving. It's solving a problem. Okay, getting better gear is solving a problem that you have or, um, hey, I don't have this. I need it because I can't do that. Um, Or I really want one of these because X, Y, Z. But that's not necessarily improving. Sure, it may improve the sound, but the sound is not the skill. The sound is a byproduct of this skill. And, you know, you could get a $4,000 microphone and put it on a kick drum and it sounds awful. Or you could get a $200 microphone and put it on a guitar amp and it sounds amazing. Okay, The skill is what allows you to pick which one of those is right. The skill is what allows you to understand when to use that mic and when to use that compressor and that EQ. And the skill is what allows you to understand, okay, this is where I struggle in my mixes. I know it. I've had other engineers tell me. I've struggled with it. I've had a mastering engineer say that I needed to fix it in my mix before I had it mastered. That is something I need to improve. And making a conscious effort to improve it. Um, You know, not just do the same mistakes, not make the same mistakes over and over and over, um, not do little differences, really consider, take the time on your own time and do tests, experiment. Um, You know, take some time at midnight sometime when you have Spare time to yourself and experiment with things. Try to try to create little tests for yourself. See if you can beat your old sounds. See if you can, you know, you kind of are forever a tinkerer in this job. At least I am. Um, That's just how I'm wired. So. Anyway, these top five uh, production mistakes are things that I hear in in mixes that I hear a lot, and I hope that they have given you things to consider. I hope they might have opened your eyes a little bit to some things that maybe you do and you didn't realize, or maybe others, others have done, even in big recordings, that you never really were able to put a face to, or a name to the face, if you want to put it that way. Um... So anyway, as always, I appreciate the comments and, uh, and kind words from all of you sending me emails. Um, I have some people that are surprised when I email them back. I, I pretty much respond to every single email that comes in uh, for the podcast. And uh, people are like, wow, you actually emailed me back. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, I usually do. I, I don't give my email just for no reason. I, I, I really do like to respond to questions. I do appreciate show ideas, uh, YouTube video ideas, and I of course appreciate the kind words and the compliments on the show. So that recording lounge podcast at gmail.com email is open for you. Uh, again, that's recording lounge podcast at gmail.com. And check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash recording lounge. The Facebook, Facebook.com slash recording lounge. The blog is recordinglounge.blogspot.com. And, of course, I look forward to hearing from you and talking to you guys again soon. Be on the lookout for YouTube videos here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I usually will try to post a couple videos in between podcast episodes. I've already posted quite a few to sort of satisfy you guys uh, temporarily while I come up with some more ideas for videos. And um, But if you have any ideas, please send them my way. Um, If I don't have a show before the end of the year, I hope you guys have a very safe holiday and a safe New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Uh, I will talk to you guys in either the end of this month or in 2016.